Hi everybody and welcome to this, the ARC360 podcast brought to you in association with Corporate Partners, BASF, BMS, CAPS, Copart, Emacs, Integral, Enterprise Rent-A-Car, Merca, Nationwide Vehicle Recovery Assistance, S&G Response and Sherwin-Williams Automotive Finishes, as well as our partners Aztec, the Green Parts Specialists, Indasa, Innovation Group and Prasco. Today, we're taking you down the rather technical path of additive manufacturing or 3D printing. And I talked to Paul Croft, director, 3D GBIRE, founder, create education project and director at Ultimaker GB Limited. Paul goes into detail on how the Terminator 2 tech, as he refers to it, will, he believes, become the norm with vehicle repairers. Specifically, he highlights how the tech is being adopted by the OEMs and explains in detail why it is being used in the ever-growing field of vehicle personalization. Paul extols his views that, in the not too distant future, repairers will be printing their own parts and even panels, and provides a fascinating tale on how his team saved the Fiesta light cluster worth a little under £200 recently, within five minutes and for only a few pounds. Oh, while talking about his passion for using the tech in teaching children, he also name drops a certain popular royal. Enjoy the podcast, everybody. Okay, so thanks very much to everyone for joining us. Hiya, Paul. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you. And yourself? Very well. Thank you very much indeed. By all those titles, it sounds like you're a busy man. Absolutely. If you chuck in three small children into the mix as well, you can imagine that these black bags underneath my eyes are more than justified. So yeah, very busy, but delighted to have the time to speak with you, Mark. Great to see you. And uh, no, you're looking very good on it, I have to say. And I'm sure we'll hear plenty more about sort of 2020 and what it's meant for you, for yourself and, and the various projects that you're involved in. But first and foremost, if you can, you know, this is a subject matter kind of a little bit out of the norm, if you like, within our industry at the moment. But if you could tell us a little bit about yourself, your career path to date. I know there's a, there's a link there with enterprise as well somewhere and how you got into 3D printing. Of course. Well, it's actually a really nice story to tell. I often say that I'm one of the luckiest people alive because if ever there was a question of right place, right time, then it's a little bit about my backstory. So having left university, went straight into the enterprise management training scheme, spent a number of years there learning the ropes, as it were, both in terms of how to run a business and also uh, what was going on in the automotive industry. And then around 2013, just as 3D printing was reaching, you know, the, the hype phase of everybody was going to have one in the house and they were going to sit next to the microwave and so on and so forth. I was lucky enough via a school friend of mine to be introduced to the founders of Ultimaker. At the time, Ultimaker were um, 12 people literally in a cornfield in, in, in Geldermalsen in Holland. And they'd obviously been part of this open source movement to develop 3D printing technology and were at a stage where they were looking to scale internationally their commercial operations, having had an entrepreneurial wish for many years, but never having had a product, if you were, to build a business around. It felt like we were the right people in the right place at the right time. We said we believe so much in Ultimaker as their vision and their offering that we wanted to be called Ultimaker GB. So we set up the company back in 2013. And Ultimaker has since gone from those 12 people People doing amazing things to now number one in their position globally, working with pick a blue chip company and they're in there causing massive time and money savings. So yeah, that was the, the Ultimaker uh, uh, journey. And then quite interestingly, two side paths, which led to the many hats that you referred to, Mark. Then first, let's just touch upon Create. So my mom, my dad, my stepmom and stepdad were all teachers. So was my little sister. 
So when I first saw this, what I thought was revolutionary technology at the time, and you know, was really melting my brain as well as plastic um, when I was looking at it. And I felt that the biggest opportunity long-term laid with giving access to the technology to the next generation, people who hadn't got a linear worldview that things were done a certain way because they would be capable of solving problems in a way that this technology enabled rather than doing it in a way that perhaps had been grandfathered in through existing practices. So I went to my parents, luckily they were um, senior teachers due to retire so I'd have good access to a market research base and started asking questions you know like how come there's no iPads in every classroom when my children at home are using iPads and how come you know there's still this mentality where computers are taught as a separate discipline but we're not teaching people the nuts and bolts of computing we're teaching them how to do stuff that they're capable of doing in their social life what kept coming out was that technology posed a number of barriers in education it was teachers wanted to be part of a larger movement what happened when it went wrong where was the peace of mind how did you get the resources to stay up to date with what this technology drove in terms of learning outcomes? How could you get access to the technology? How are you going to continually train the teachers? And of course, there is no money in education. So we put those barriers together and came out with community, reliability, education, access, teachability and economics. That gave us Create. That gave us an unashamed pun on making things as well, which is obviously what 3D printing enabled. And we started taking it to education institutions. And what happened was we found that we struck a real sweet spot you know, that teachers were looking to be able to drive engagement in an age of digital technologies, but what they needed was confidence. And by showing an empathetic approach to the barriers that people were facing, then we were very successful in appointing a number of hubs from the likes of Imperial College right the way down to a primary school that uh, Rolls-Royce recently sponsored to have the kit in there. So we feel like we're making a big change and Create was initially part of Ultimaker GB, but due to the success we had in terms of spinning 3D GBRE out of Ultimaker GB, which is a slightly separate story, then we've done the same with Create and now we collaborate with a number of partners on there. On the 3D GBRE side of things, and perhaps more relevantly, um, if I should just keep telling the story rather than giving you a chance to speak, then part of the contract, as Ultimaker evolved as a business, part of the contract dual requirement for myself and my team in the UK was that we needed to provide the after-sales support, you know, something that will resonate in automotive, that it wasn't just about supplying the technology and getting the box from Holland and giving it to the end-use customers, that actually if the technology was going to be adopted and people were going to drive value out of it, then they needed to have ongoing support locally as possible to where they were using the technology. So at the time, we set up 3D GBRE in order to provide that level of service so that it was um, clear who the remit was in terms of Great Britain and Ireland which is what the acronym again is for and then we took that a step to move that out so it was a separate offering rather than just supplying the manufacturers of Ultimaker's printers and representing them exclusively in the UK and of course because of the success we'd had with Ultimaker then we were then in the luxurious position to be able to start looking at complementary technologies to match the applications that we were finding through uh, talking to our customer bases about where the challenges were with them. 3DG BRE now represents a number of brands as well as Ultimaker, lots of different technologies. We're in the process now of really building out a service offering so that we can work collaboratively with key stakeholders in a number of industries to match how technology potential equals time and money savings for them or sustainability benefits, whatever it is. I'll breathe now. Over to you.
Wow. When I said you'd been a busy man, wow, I didn't mean it too literally like that. But wow, goodness me, what an insight. It really, really interesting stuff. I mean, the create thing in there as well for, for us as an industry, huge part of the jigsaw we're trying to kind of currently piece together. So uh, I'm sure people will be really interested to hear how you develop that. And no doubt you'll probably get some contact as well from people in our industry. So so moving on, I mean, it must have been you kind of referenced 2013 as a date. And I'm thinking I attended a 3D printing show at the NEC five years ago I think it was which at the time I was blown away I could not believe what I was seeing the materials the accuracy the ability to scan and reproduce almost anything it was just eye-opening tell us a little bit about 3d printing in general and and how it's developed to this day well the the, the amazing thing about 3d printing which not a lot of people know is that the technology's actually been around for 30 years now you know it was not it's not a new invention per se there has been an expiration of key patents over the last decade, which has allowed a, a boatload of innovation to happen. But 3D printing actually is made up of seven groups of different technology. Some are made from extruding plastic and melting it very accurately. Some are made through fusing metal powders together. Some are made by melting metal wires, or um, even some different technologies are more a la the Terminator 2, which many of your listeners may be familiar with, where you're actually using light to cure a vat of resin to physically grow an object out of things. So 3D printing has become a, a familiar term for many. We often talk about additive manufacturing because actually you're building things up layer by layer rather than, you know, removing material from a solid mass, which has been the traditional way of making things. And I think 3D printing has gone through the hype cycle. You perhaps were uh, joining the show just at the time after people were starting to say, well, is it really ready for grandma? Is there enough uh, applications that we can use in the home? Or are we better talking about where the time and money savings are in business? Because we can already see that real validation going on there. And I think what's exciting for me personally about the industry is not only looking at how quickly the development of the technology is accelerating both in terms of materials, hardware and software. But the thing for me is now looking at the business cases that are being generated and critically, as we were talking about just previously, the social impact that this technology enables, as we saw with the PPE being created by everybody from Rolls Royce right the way down to uh, people in schools and colleges and even their bedrooms producing PPE masks as part of the COVID crisis. So yeah, the enabling factor of the technology is as exciting for me as the, the geeky end of the technology progression as well truly amazing stuff and and as i say referencing back to that show specifically automotive wise and, and we'll move into that now you know i saw anything from kind of widgets dashboards wheels even entire cars were there that was really eye-opening for me and that's part of it the, the wow factor it was like gee this is this is serious stuff now so specifically where are we with additive manufacturing or, or 3d printing within the automotive sector I think it's a very good question to ask, but it's also a difficult question to answer. It depends on which way you look at the sector itself, you know. So if you're looking at it in terms of actual construction of the cars, then there's already an abundance of use cases that are in the public domain that have shown, you know, like staggering numbers of change. One of the things we were involved with, as an example, with Ultimaker was at the VW Auto Europa plant in Portugal. They took on, this is going back three, four years now, maybe longer, they took on a, a number of the Ultimaker printers 
which many people would think, oh, it must cost thousands and thousands to get involved in this. But actually, the units they purchased initially were three grand approximately. You know, you can now get a top of the range solution for £10,000 and be fully self-sustained. So this isn't groundbreaking cost. But what VW had done was look at the tooling and manufacturing aids that they were required in terms of producing the cars. You know, so a simple example is how do you put the, the letters across the, the back of the, the car that display what model it is. And of course, skilled operatives or robotics are becoming part of this. Actually, what they found was once they put the ability to make custom jigs, fixtures and tooling in the hands of the operatives, then there was huge time and money to be saved. I mean, the numbers were they were saving 91% of their time in terms of efficiency and 95% of their costs on the tooling side of things. You know, those numbers are absolutely staggering. And what the, again, back to the people factor a bit, what was really interesting for me when you hear the anecdotes that came off the cold, hard business case was the motivating factor of the operatives being able to design their own tools, the ergonomic benefits of the operator lifting up a piece of lightweight plastic repeatedly during to perform his operation rather than a heavy piece of custom tooling that's been made that they've waited weeks and weeks to come from wherever it's been machined in the Far East. It was been produced that morning overnight so that they could move more efficiently. And, you know, so on the, on the, the building of the machine, on of the cars themselves, there's massive adoption going on in jigs, fixtures and tooling. We're in seeing increasing numbers now of the big boys, BMW, have set up a, a, an AM centre. They've been using the technology for, you know, 20, 30 years now. Now, but uh, increasingly, I think there was a, a note came out the other day, they've got three, over 300,000 parts on a specific car line that are end-use parts. Rolls-Royce announced something on LinkedIn the other day where they were using metal additive manufacturing to be making brackets for chassis fixings and stuff like that. So on the, the OEM side of things, the technology is starting to be very well adopted. And I think we're seeing huge opportunity there because people are looking at their inventory costs, they're looking at the, the cost of machining from a solid billet of material rather than the cost of printing to a near net shape and then using traditional manufacturing techniques to get the exact finish that they need. You know, it's, it's a really innovative time on the production side. On the repair side of things, you know, the after sales market, then with the first thing was customization. There's been an awful lot of that going on, you know, people on the, the um, who wanted specific um, designs to be able to do that would have had to pay for injection molding tooling or hack off the shelf parts in order to be able to do it. Now with a little bit of know-how and access to this affordable technology, they're able to produce, you know, custom light clusters or bespoke solutions for fleet vehicles, for example, like the police or the ambulances. So again, there's a lot of exciting stuff going on there. And where we're at with 3D GBRE was that we wanted to take the knowledge that myself has of working at enterprise and, you know, looking at market dynamics, how technology tends to trickle down slowly over the years from OEMs into after sales and thinking, look, there's an opportunity here for us to help make the UK customers more sustainable. And critically for, for me personally, now as a father, also have a huge environmental impact because, you know, if you think about how much money is spent in terms of uh, not only constructing these parts that we use to repair vehicles, but also the logistics that go into supplying them of the economic impact on some businesses of having to have all these parts on the shelf, just in case a particular car does. But critically also then the idea of repair versus replace. How much do we put into landfill that for the sake of a simple bracket could be could be refit back to a vehicle or how many cars are being scrapped because a particular part is obsolete and it's not available when actually you could make that part and therefore the vehicle is no longer an economic write-off, you know, thinking a little bit differently about how the technology enables us to reduce claim costs and, you know, minimise key to key on repairs and have an environmental impact is an amalgamation of a lot of things that excite me coming together.
Absolutely fascinating. That in itself, you know, the innovation of 3D printing, additive manufacturing, you know, that that sounds like it's driving a whole lot of innovation in terms of, you know, people, processes, how things work as well. So it's incredible to, you know, think that the potential of this almost lies in the individual's hands in terms of how creative can you be and links back in with what you were saying about the Create project, I suppose. So fascinating stories. So we had a great session. And this is kind of what if you like, prompted this conversation between us and your colleague Carl was on the call at the time or on the webinar, should I say. It was one of our looking ahead digital event where 3D printing was one mentioned as one of the technologies to look out for within the sector, as in collision repair industry. So would we be right in assuming that? And what more can you tell us in terms of how quickly or how this may move? Again, great question, Mark. I'd push back and say looking out for is um, a little bit timid. I'd say that if you've not got your eyes glued on this right now and you're in a leadership position and you've got a mandate to be looking, you know, 12 months into the future in order to make your business sustainable, then I think, you know, you need to be all over this right now because whilst there are some still some barriers to cross before we're printing car panels, et cetera, on site, just in time, on demand for custom repairs, which is where the industry will inevitably end up, then the time and money savings that we're talking about and the potential to reduce claim costs. And like we've talked about then, you know, let me give you an example. The team were on site at a repair center the other day and they found a Fiesta light cluster. Okay, the Fiesta light cluster was in the bin. The cost, I believe, was 175 quid plus fat. The reason the entire light cluster was in the bin, causing cost to the insurer or whoever was picking up the, the cost, the environmental impact that we talked about, that part then going into landfill or wherever it's disappearing to, if it's not being recycled, was because of two tiny little plastic brackets that had snapped on the back of it. Using 3D printing, it took us a number of minutes to be able to model something up on the software. We then pressed print and came back a matter of minutes later, because it was only a small, relatively small part. How much do you think it cost to create those brackets, Mark? Now you're asking questions. I have no idea, but I'm go- I'm going to say significantly less than 175 pounds for the for the actual item. Less than a fiver. Wow. All the other other benefits that we talked about, you know, yeah, they're they're a nice to have, you know, in some people's eyes. But you know, if you're in a decision making position and you're accountable for the sustainability of your business, or you're an insurer and you're fundamentally underwriting the cost of this the repair and looking at, you know, the sustainability of that from a financial point of view, what do you want to pay? You want to pay a fiver, having made an initial investment in some technology and trained your team up, or do you want to pay 175 quid? You know, you multiply that light cluster by how many times that happens in the number of repair centres across the country, and you're already talking tens of thousands of pounds worth of saving on one particular application, which is really easy for us to replicate and reproduce using 3D printing. If there's a strong argument for it, it's right there. And that's only obviously, you know, an absolute minor or, or tiny part of its potential, I, I assume. So, uh, well, that's exactly it. And you've hit the nail on the head there. You know, like this is the wonderful thing about the technology is that each of these individual applications can lead to huge time and money saving. And if I'm an insurer or a, a decision maker and I'm looking at key to key times or minimizing claim costs or the efficiency in which I'm using, turning my bays over whilst I'm waiting for specific parts to come in or for repairs to be done, then, you know, you've now got a new tool set that wasn't accessible 10 years ago, you know, and if you think about the transition that many of the skilled operatives will have used in these repair centers and how much difference a a good tool makes in the hands of the right user, then to not be looking at 3D printing right now, whichever your role within the ecosystem seems to be a little bit naive. So watching out for it, yeah, watch out, watch out. If you're not already looking would be my line. (laughs) 
And what a great way to take us to around about the midway point. So uh, go and grab yourselves a cup of tea or do what you need to do. And uh, we'll be back with you very shortly. So hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. Fascinating insight into a new technology which would appear to have so much potential uh, across our industry and many others. Anyway, at this stage, a big thank you to our corporate partners, BASF, BMS, CAPS, Copart, Emacs, Integral, Enterprise Rent-A-Car, Merca, Nationwide Vehicle Recovery Assistance, S&G Response, and Sherwin-Williams Automotive Finishes. And of course, to our partners, Aztec, the Green Parts Specialists, Indasa, Innovation Group, and Prasco. Enjoy the second half of the interview with Paul. Okay, welcome back, everybody. Um, so we've just been talking about the fact that you, you need to have your eyes on this technology. So if that is the case, what are the limits to 3D printing within the industry at the moment? And are we talking, as we've mentioned, you know, are we just talking about plastic clips and brackets or, or a larger scale parts and potentially panels, something that could emerge either as part of existing operations or as completely separate entities? Again, fantastic question, Mark. The best way for me to answer this, a similar way that I did in terms of looking at the different stakeholders within the sector, is to um, break down different um, opportunities in terms of different journeys. You know, for me, then there's a, a short-term opportunity, as we've already talked about, in terms of reducing these repair costs, minimizing um, minimizing the environmental impact through repair rather than replacing. I can see strands moving forwards, and part of my mandate as, the, as owning this business and working closely with the manufacturer is looking at the stuff that's happening behind a closed door, you know, and seeing what's going on under confidentiality agreements, because that in itself will immediately create a, a driving force. You know, a great example is we've touched upon some of the big OEMs, not only using it for jigs, fixtures and tooling, but actually using it for end use parts. Well, how are the repair centers going to repair these parts if they don't add additive manufacturing on site? They physically can't make them any other way. That's why the manufacturers are using additive manufacturing technology. So are the the OEMs going to create additive manufacturing production facilities in order to use traditional supply chains? That doesn't seem to make an awful lot of sense given the the benefits that we've talked about. So in my mind, is an innovation opportunity for people in the sector to be saying, look, we're not at printing panels yet. There's a number of barriers to get through. And being honest, those barriers have been the same um, since I got involved. And it's standards and sign off, you know, which is something that takes a little bit of time. And again, something that we're working closely with a number of parties to try and get over that barrier. It's the validation of the materials and repeatability of manufacturing techniques, which again is critical for an order for it to be able to scale. As you probably picked out the theme from me on this, the big thing for me is people. And it's hearts and minds. One of the, my favourite stories is about the Ultimaker team over in, uh, with Ford in, in Germany. And there was a particular operative and it was fitting the Focus logo on, on the back of the vehicle, I believe. And he was a time-served operative. He'd been in the industry for 20 years. And when approached about 3D printing, he had the attitude that I've run into on many occasions over the years with, oh, it's fads, it's, you know, toys and key rings. It's not real manufacturing, you know. I'm a I do this, I do that. Anyway, so so as to uh, get him on side, they said, oh, that's fine, no worries. Well, well, we'll keep you with the traditional stuff. They then 3D printed a custom piece of tooling for him, which was a um, plastic device, which then had the spacing exactly mapped out, you know, just to make it really ergonomically effective. Obviously, he was then using lightweight plastic instead of a heavier, denser material. They left him to it for a couple of weeks, said he was an expert, asked him for some feedback. He, of course, was eulogizing about it, saying it had been transformational, it had positive impact on his productivity. Then they told him it was 3D printed. Guess what? 
he's become one of the biggest evangelists of the technology now because he now sees the benefits. And I think to myself, going back to my enterprise days, how many times did I knock on a door and say, look, you can save some of your courtesy car provision costs by looking at different ways of solving the same problem. And I was met with a lot of inertia. I think that the same is probably going to happen in specifically in this industry where people will have a reticence to get involved because they don't think the change is coming. Whereas I can tell you categorically from my knowledge from other industries like aerospace and, you know, medical side of things that the change is coming. It's already happening. It's a question of, as I believe, working collaboratively to make sure we get through those standards barriers, make sure we do have the right conversations about intellectual property and critically make sure that we're looking at the big macro trends that are happening about autonomous vehicles potentially in the future and, you know, um, more and more electric vehicle emphasis coming in by 2030, you know, and how technology is going to play a part in not only making the OEMs be able to create this um, offering but also it's going to help your listeners be able to service that offering from an after sales perspective. Amazing insight and the much familiar if you like issues arise once again you know again those are the challenges um, you know again opportunities does 3D printing face specifically with an automotive you probably covered many of them in your previous answer but is there more there as well? Absolutely. Well, again, the exciting thing for me and where I always try and manage expectations is the power of the technology. I think we've mentioned it before is actually like any tool, it's really contingent on the user. You know, we've got a number of people who are doing stuff that are beyond my wildest dreams. I mean, we're already talking again, we're skirting around confidentiality stuff with a number of organizations that are looking about enhancing part performance as a result of being able to use additive manufacturing. So how do you optimize certain things for collision impact? There's been a lot of stuff on the sports industry, for example, where people are looking at crash helmets and things like that by looking at where the force can be used by material densities and patterns as well. Once that thinking starts to creep in, then again, there's going to be huge disruption in the industry because you won't be able to build that level of part performance through traditional manufacturing techniques. So the, the lid for innovation is really off. I, I always try and manage expectations as much as I'm like an excitable child, as you can probably see about the potential of this technology, then it's slowly, slowly, because you've got to create the hearts and minds within your organization and the companies that are, have the most rapid curve of adoption and therefore reap the most benefits really understand that it comes down to people. And for me, with my business, then that's why 3D GBRE is growing so quickly and has, I'd like to think, a positive reputation because we try and enable our partners you know, we're not coming in to keep selling you this and selling you that. We want to come in and teach you how to drive value for your business because that's going to create loyalty and repeat business for us. And also, we know that because the rate of change is so quick, that for companies that want to stay up to speed, as many now do in this competitive age, then there's going to be a requirement for tapping into our expertise on a frequent basis anyway. And, you know, if we can create this virtuous loop of knowledge transfer between us as an organization, the end experts who are applying the technology, the material companies and the manufacturers of the hardware that, and software that we use that are also going to benefit, then I think we can have a real positive impact. And, you know, without sounding too cheesy, create a better world for children to grow up into and better businesses to hopefully stave us through the B word and so on and so forth, which is coming next year. So yeah, exciting. Let's not get too giddy. Let's look at the low hanging fruit, like repair versus replace, minimizing plane costs. That's where the opportunity is. If I was a big fleet provider, I mean, again, without confidential breaching any confidentiality agreement stuff is in the public domain. Big beneficiaries of this technology have been people who have large fleets. Yeah. Now, whether that's a car or whether that's aircraft, then 
if you've got a lot of repeatable parts or repeatable challenges, then this technology allows you to develop either custom jigs, fixtures and toolings or custom replacement parts, which you can be digitally catalogued to then distribute globally without having to think about any logistics to give you some from the aerospace to say, look, this is happening um, to the automotive stakeholders. Two little anecdotes. One was KLM, the Ultimaker guys work really closely with. They found where they were doing the spraying of the, the aeroplane wheels, you know, for refurbs and maintenance and stuff. Again, something that happened in every body shop. It was taking them however many full-time employees to put masking tape all around the wheels so as to do a good job. Somebody printed a little plug. It took minutes to print on an Ultimaker, which was the exact same size as all the wheels on the fleet. Instead of it being a 20-minute job, it was a one-minute job to get exactly the same functionality. So you've got a huge time and money saving there immediately more efficient. But then think about the, uh, the reduced overheads in terms of the masking tape. Straight away, that costs come out of your business. So once people realize that these things are there, there's a lot of low-hanging fruit that are easy wins that are going to make people more sustainable, improve cash flow, get themselves more agile, more lean, all these terms that we hear in other industries. And I think that's where automotive is going as well, if I'm honest. And as with any industry, the ones who go first and get it right by doing it the right way will be the ones who reap the biggest benefit. You know, the conversations we've had throughout this year, as I said to you, explained that we've been kind of documenting, you know, this year and, and trying to keep the industry in contact and key themes to stem from it all. Technology, you know, we know that's been accelerated this year beyond anything like we've seen before. The key driver behind that is the importance of the people. And again, linking with cultures within business, you've got to have those people to support the technology and know how to use it and to its fullest and also you know the cultures to be able to adopt it innovate it and keep moving with it so it's fascinating that from another industry just echo the, those exact sentiments that we've had throughout the year i'm looking at 3d printing you know you've got me intrigued now anyway but how accessible is it and what equipment skill sets do i require just to i suppose start out Again, great question. I'll, I'll tell you a little story, if I may. We went to the Ford site at Dagenham many years ago. This is when we first got started. And we thought we were initially presenting to two or three people. And then we were whisked into a rather large boardroom. And all of a sudden, 20 or 30 design engineers came walking through the door. And uh, both myself and my business partner, there was only a small team in the UK at the time, aren't technical, not from a design background, not, not engineers. And they started asking a load of very technical questions, which thanks to a little bit of automotive knowledge, I was and being a little bit of a car um, geek, then I was all right answering. But I got to a point where it got a little bit technical and I was just looked like I don't even tie my shoelaces. And I pointed out that I was the last one of my friends to get an iPhone, yet here I was demonstrating this technology in the hallowed halls of Ford. Whilst that sounds like a little bit of a comedic answer, then that's a good insight because I wasn't a technical guy, you know, and yet I've built a business around this and recruited a number of very, very technical people who now work effectively as part of our team. But I didn't need to be, you know, a PhD engineer level to be able to get access of this. Equally so, then when we were getting involved, we used to play a game, perhaps we played it with you at the show that you've alluded to a couple of times where we used to say, you know, how much does it cost? You know, and people straight away, when you can see a part literally being manufactured in front of your eyes and you talk about the digital file being transferred and it sounds to uh, people back then and even to this day, like a little bit like Star Trek, then people immediately jump to a six-figure outlay for cost. Well, if you were really going for it and you wanted to just do some really uh, basic exploration, then you can go online now and you can pay 200 quid for a cheapest chips 3D printer that you can build yourself at home. Now, you're not going to get 
repair worthy parts off those printers but in terms of getting access to it getting your head around it and starting to get your team engaged with what's possible then it starts at a few hundred pounds most of the solutions we offer are a few thousand ranging up to you know like the 100k 100k mark for the stuff that we have you know interestingly just on that we've recently started working with a company called Meltio. The CEO's a good friend of mine and the CTO is an English guy who's actually based out in the States. They've developed, without being too geeky, a multi-laser cluster, which effectively, if you imagine welding wire, you know, that obviously the audience will be familiar with, well, it allows any welding stock to be fed through a laser cluster head to then be additively manufactured. Now, we're not getting the crazy complicated parts off it just yet that you might have seen with other 3D printing technologies that are producing metal. But the reality is for adoption of the technology, people don't need all this fancy lattice structure. What they need is a part in stainless steel or titanium or inconel or whatever it may be that can be polished back to certain tolerances or can be machined back to certain tolerances. And if you're using the same off the shelf certified welding material that's already been approved, kite marked, then some of those barriers we alluded to in the previous question have completely removed. Now, if you had to go and spend half a million quid to get that kit, particularly under the current climate, that's a, a big ask of the bank manager or of some of the government innovation funds. If you can see an ROI on an 80, 90, 100K outlay, then that's well within the reach of a lot of people. And if your ongoing running costs are next to nothing other than some, you know, off-the-shelf welding stock and some argon, you know, to facilitate the 3D printing process, then this technology is accessible. All you need now is the mindset, the people, and a little bit of local expertise, and uh, away you go. Wow, amazing stuff. And it just goes to show how kind of, I say quickly, it's moving, you know, how, how many different directions, I suppose, it's going in more than anything. Fascinating to hear. So again, I want to touch back on the Create project because, you know, fascinating, as I said, it's kind of a big part of our industry at the moment. There's a, a broadening skills gap. Uh, there's a need to attract fresh young talent to the industry. Are there any lessons that you've kind of, you know, you explained it, you outlined it beautifully right at the beginning, but there, are there kind of lessons that you've learned along the way that you can share with this industry? 100% and like if, uh, as much as I'm passionate about 3D printing and you know helping people build sustainable business and environmental impact then particularly now that I'm a father what do I want my impact to have been then I think it will be create and I'll be really proud about that if it reaches its potential why because you know if I look to my dad who a lot of people uh, respect their parents then when my dad started teaching and I was asking him why he hadn't been a doctor or a solicitor or you know these traditional high profile roles or been a business owner as I now am then he talked about the magic of seeing kids' eyes sparkle. You know, and my parents were PE teachers, so obviously it was a bit easier in sports, even with bad boys and girls, to get those eye sparkling moments. But he found that due to some of the changes in the industry for teaching, due to some of the changes in society in terms of parents wanting to be best mates rather than parents in a lot of instances and not having the same career focus for their children, you know, as, as they did in our parents' generation, let's say, then some of the magic had gone out of teaching. So he actually took early retirement and, you know, has been living the high life ever since. And when I first saw 3D printing without, you know, being overly dramatic, when I first flew to Holland to meet the Ultimaker guys, and this was when it was an old, this was a wooden box at the time, literally making these things. Everybody had left to go into the boardroom and I was just stood there borderline dribbling just looking at the technology. Now, I was a you know 30-year-old bloke or whatever I was at the time. It had that impact of complete amazement on me and absolutely drove engagement. And I put together what my dad had said about the eye sparkling and I thought about the way that things have become very focused on exams and performance and people have lost what Mandela used to say about the ability to learn and things. And it's become about performance. And I think what 3D printing was immediately to me and to also thousands of 
school kids and university students that we've seen since is a, a way of flicking on that amazement again you know and like how much more interesting is it to talk about a dna helix for example that isn't rotating around as an image on a screen in front of you but you can actually hold what a double helix looks like how much more interesting does geography become when you can suddenly talk about glacial topography you can slide the glacier down an exact scanned replica of a particular mountain at different stages of evolution how more exciting does engineering become when you can actually do simulations on software and then test a piece of 3d printing across a bridge or something like that and that power to amaze i think has been truly revolutionary potentially if we get it right and we can get it into again into the hands of the right teachers the best story i can tell you which isn't meant to sound like I met Prince Harry, um, but I did. As part of Create, we've supported an amazing organisation called The Blair Project. And their mandate, similar to what you asked in the question, was about improving diversity, about getting different people in to address the skills gap, but also giving different people within society opportunity to access technology. So all stuff that we're really passionate about as well and fits perfectly with Create. So what we actually did was we took the Ultimakers, we worked with one of the, our industry experts and a group of challenged children in different locations to develop the pods to go on a go-kart and then we got them to customize them and 3d printing so they're obviously learning design engineering manufacturing to go through that a little bit of aerodynamics we didn't and as per the repair side of things we didn't start 3d printing chassis we weren't printing the brakes for kids to go riding go-karts on a plastic 3d printer or nothing crazy like that but there was still an abundance of learning opportunities for the kids to be able to do it and i was speaking to a head teacher at the launch event which prince harry came and you know like again inspired the kids in a whole new way to be done and the head teacher said to me he said paul you don't understand how powerful this is and i love it when people have opening gambits like that because it's like it gives me fuel for what i do and he said a lot of the lads that are taking part in this we can't get them to sit down and the moment a teacher walks into a room and starts trying to, you know, get them to engage in something, then I won't swear because we're obviously this is being recorded, but the head teacher did swear at me, which was quite shocking, to be honest. But he said, we're immediately met with bleep, 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 bleep. Since we've had these 3D printers, we walk in, we put it down on the table at the front, we press print and the kids are engaged straight away. And all of a sudden... That allows people to start then working in different types of education because you can start having meaningful conversations about scale and mass and density and parts and temperature and all these things just based on the 3D printing technology alone. One final story, and this is the one that I used to tell in the early days before I had loads and loads of evidence to support what I'm saying. We went into where my stepdad was one of the teachers. And to give you people a little bit of a laugh, myself and my business partner, it was our first ever demonstration. It was one of the old original wooden ultimakers. And as we walked in to do the school, it was the head teacher, deputy head teacher, head of design technology, and one of the technicians. And we thought we'd do the classic YouTube unboxing, showing what's in the box, you know, full proper professional tech demo. And it didn't go well. My business partner sliced his finger whilst opening the box. So it was accident booked and blue plasters for him. I then picked a table that might as well have had three legs. It was so wobbly. So couldn't get the printer calibrated or anything. This is 2013. The technology's moved since then. And after being a sweaty mess for like 45 minutes, the head teacher basically said, look, this hasn't worked, has it? You know, maybe we can try again another day. So luckily, due to my uh, relationship with my stepdad, then he got us back in with the head of D&T into a year 10 or year 11 class. This time there was no box. We literally unplugged the printer. We knew it, we had it working perfectly. We walked into the school, pressed it down, plugged it in and pressed print. And I stood and did a little bit of a Q&A with the majority of the class, but there was one lad who just didn't express an interest whatsoever. He had his back to us. He was 
continue staring at his screen. Most of the other kids were like, oh, can I make this? Can I make that? Can I do this? Can I do that? What about this? What about that? Not this lad, he was just not interested. He just stared at his screen. So my business partner went over and said, come and have a look. It's first 3D printer in a local area. Don't want to miss out, blah, blah, blah. Just ignored him. So me and my business partner swapped over. You know, and look, there's thousands of these kids in schools up and down the country. We swapped over and with my parents being high school teachers, I thought, I know I'll get them. It's power of peer pressure. So I said to him, come on, all your friends are looking at this. You don't want to be the only one of your mates that hasn't seen this new technology. Come and have a look. Again, like, who are you? Get out of my school. You're not cool enough for me. Anyway, what happened was we were printing a little uh, cup, not dissimilar to this water glass that I've got, but it had a love heart embossed on the side as part of the design as it was printing. It took about 15 minutes to print. And obviously there was this huge crescendo of noise from the kids as they could see this cup appearing in front of them. Till eventually, as the noise built to a certain level, Connor, as the lad was called, stood up, big lad, elbowed all of his classmates out the way and went to the front and gave us a rather begrudging, it was pretty cool actually, this is pretty cool. Right, you tell that story to teachers or anybody who's passionate about getting people engaged in, in some various subjects and they will immediately go, all right, how much does it cost? because that's priceless. The magic of this story doesn't stop there though, because what happened next was because they were using open source software that was free and accessible online, because the slicing software that prepares the 3D printing file was again free and available online. And because we'd lent the school a 3D printer, which is what we do as part of the Create Education project, Connor went home that night. It might've been a couple of days either side, but for argument's sake, within a few days and designed a bedroom door handle for himself that had been broken online, came back into school and said, Miss, please can I print this on the 3D printer? Now that's the utopia of education for somebody to go from being disengaged, bad lad, you know, struggling, to then taking ownership of his own learning and development outside of core hours. That's, that's what everybody wants. The real magic of this story, because you've asked me a question and I'm going to tell you the best story I've got, Mark, was we were at an event, an education event in Manchester. This is probably six months afterwards. And I'm stood like I probably was to talking at a show, engaged in a conversation. Just out of my peripheral vision, I could see that my business partner was being hugged by the head of D&T from this particular school. Now, teachers don't usually hug people, let's be honest. It's not in their uh, remit anymore. So as soon as I'd finished speaking to the customers that I was with, I was like, you know, what's, what's all this about? And she turned around and she said, you're not going to believe what's happened with Connor. I've had the head of English, head of maths, head of science come up to me and say, What's happened with Connor? He's like a different pupil. And what of course had happened, and which is what the question you were alluding to was, he'd had that spark flicked. He'd suddenly realized that by using education as a reason to get where he wanted to get to in life, rather than just being a, a reason of having a finger wagged in his face and being told that he's not very good at not very good at that, that he himself could get what he wanted want out of education. And that I think is a real motivating factor. And I think if, your industry, my industry, the technology that we've got are now at our disposal can create meaningful learning outcomes for these people where they realise that it's them that's in control of their own destiny and that education's about grabbing access to the knowledge you need to get there, then, hey, look, there's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to use this technology to make it happen. What an amazing story. Kind of makes you go all tingly and such a feel-good story. It's amazing. And again, so many sort of parallels in terms of you know where our, our industry's at you know how we're sort of trying to get that message across and the things that we can do so so some really good lessons there really um really appreciate that fantastic insight again we're coming on to the last question my goodness we we, we know our way around 3d printing at the moment well a little bit anyway paul so w- where do i begin if i was interested wanted to find out more about 3d printing you and i have kind of already discussed maybe there's a sort of a, a more of a techie session to come at some stage in the future but where do i go where do i find out more 
Obviously, um, being completely biased, I'd say to reach out to me and my team. I think, you know, if you look at stats, then people do do a lot of research now before they speak to experts. But I think in this particular instance, to quote something that Paul Unwin, who's the chair of the UK Additive Manufacturing um, Strategy, said was that there's so many trains leaving. Everybody knows they need to be on a train and roasted at the platform, but they don't know which train they need to be on and what time they need to be going and so on and so forth. And I think that's a perfect analogy of where people are at with 3D printing. What I would say is the solution to that is come talk to us. You know, you can reach out to my team on some inquiries at 3dgbre.com, get me on LinkedIn and I'll connect you to whoever's most relevant. Obviously reach out to yourselves and I'm sure you'll do the same, but I think it's good to speak to an expert to find out where you're at and your understanding of the technology, where your team's at in terms of the willingness to embrace new ways of um, performing. And also critically to understand that you don't need to be in a cash rich position to start with this journey. You know, many of the use cases that we've got, people have made their ROI on their investment in a matter of days, no exaggeration, you know, and eat comfortably within a, a couple of month period. And what we see with some of the larger organizations in different verticals is that they're using the cost savings that they're making by adopting the technology as the first step to reinvest in more expensive equipment, larger programs for more staff, you know, and critically, this collaborative ethos that we have is, look, we'll tell you where we're at in all honesty as an industry and as a technology, you tell us where you're trying to get to and let's work together with the different stakeholders in the ecosystem to, to get there because there's a real mindset shift that working together, the, the we rather versus the me that has been enabled by this technology. And I think we're keen in the UK via 3D GBRE to make sure that people don't miss out. So yeah, give us a shout, we'll help. Fantastic. Well, what a way to round things off. And, and thank you so much for your time today, Paul. It's been, a, it's been a fascinating way to catch up, find out more about 3D printing and, and kind of gain an insight into, into what's happening in that world. And yeah, it seems like the two industries are uh, on a collision path. Excuse the pun. But yes, the two shall meet or, or are meeting at this very moment. So uh, really good to hear your thoughts. I'm sure everyone listening in really appreciates it. So thanks for your time, Paul. Thank you. Cheers. And so there it is, a possible glimpse of the future and just how much of an impact 3D printing could make within the automotive sector. It's been fascinating to speak with Paul and gain an insight into his world, but also shed more light on just how the two industries meet. If you're not already looking into 3D printing, I think the message is clear that you need to. And no, I'm not working on commission. Look forward to hearing more from Paul and the team at 3D GBIRE in the future. And with that, once again, huge thank you to our corporate partners, BASF, BMS, CAPS, Copart, Emacs, Integral, Enterprise Rent-A-Car, Merca, Nationwide Vehicle Recovery Assistance, S&G Response and Sherwin-Williams Automotive Finishes, as well as our partners Aztec, the Green Part Specialists in DASA, Innovation Group and Prasco. Thanks very much for joining us once again and look forward to catching up with you all again soon.